Right, well, the board met um, this time over a split week. It was the 13th of December. Um, first had the public sessions on the Thursday through to the, uh, the 17th of December. Uh, we, most of the sessions we had were ISB-only sessions, but um, we also had a, a joint session on revenue recognition with the FASB, and, and they joined us by video link from Norwalk. Um, what we're going to talk about today, um, five basic issues, a little bit about conceptual framework and, and the work on the project, Steve's then going to talk about financial instruments and in particular the impairment uh, model here. I'll then briefly touch on revenue recognition and the continuing re-deliberations. Steve will then come back and, and talk a bit about insurance contracts. Uh, and then I'll do a little bit of a wrap-up of um, a couple of other topics, bearer biological assets and rate-regulated activities, and um, just look at the, uh, the coming weeks. So let's start with a conceptual framework. Um, we've... As people are aware, we've got a, a fairly aggressive timetable on this. We're looking to put a discussion paper out um, around June, July next year. Um, we've had several discussions now at the board and public, mainly education sessions. This time we focused on the definition of a or difference between a liability and equity. And we also had a, a discussion about measurement concepts. Uh, obviously no decisions at this stage because what we're looking for is um, in February the board will start to discuss a, a draft discussion paper. Now, I think the important thing is during the week, um, Steve was involved in recording a podcast with the staff, and that's available on our website for anybody, and that will give you a much fuller update on uh, the conceptual framework project. Yeah, that covered uh, the, the, the measurement issue and also the, the, the liability equity definition issue. So, uh, yes, people are welcome to go and listen to that. Um, so, so, moving on, uh, Alan, to uh, to impairment, um, the uh, the board actually completed uh, almost all the technical discussions last month uh, in November. Uh, the the discussions of the, the so-called three bucket impairment model. Uh, in particular, in that meeting, we made some important clarifications to the criterion for the transfers of a lifetime loss. Um, this uh, this left one key issue for us to to discuss at this meeting, which is transition. Now we, we've already previously sorted out a transition approach. Um, obviously transition difficult uh, in this area because of the uh, the problem of retrospective application and the availability of data. Um, but what we had to do is to make sure that the transition approach worked with the revised criterion for transferring to lifetime loss that we decided in the previous month. So essentially what it means is that the proposal that we, we currently have stands that it is a, a retrospective application but uh, an entity has the ability to, to recognize lifetime losses uh, on those assets that, that, that meet the absolute criteria rather than the relative criterion for transfer if information isn't available about deterioration of credit quality since, uh, since origination. Uh, what we did, of course, at the last meeting was change what that absolute criterion was to one that's uh, essentially uh, credit quality below investment grade. So the board confirmed that it wanted to continue with that transition method, but obviously applying it to the new absolute criterion. Uh, the other factor to, to note is that the board also looked at the whole idea of delinquencies as a, as a basis for, for, for the absolute measure, or, or rather the relative deterioration approach um, for, for retail loans, uh, and they confirmed that that would also be a factor to consider in, in terms of the, the transition. So that was uh, just one sort of fairly minor sweep issue, just clarifying what we'd done before. But the uh, the rest of the meeting was then about 
uh, the, the due process, uh, have we completed our due process in this particular area? Uh, the, the issue of re-exposure, should we re-expose uh, comment period and then permission to draft? So the board concluded that we have finished our due process, that we should re-expose uh, this three-bucket model. Uh, the, uh, the board decided on a comment period of 120 days and, and did give the staff permission to, to draft that, uh, that ED. Just a, a note on the interaction with the FASB, obviously most of you will be aware that the FASB itself has a, has a different approach to impairment, their CECL model. Uh, they are publishing uh, an exposure draft on that, indeed I think it's been published today. Um, the exposure draft that the ISB will publish uh, will not be ready for, for some weeks. Uh, what we do hope is that there will be an overlap, well we, we, we aim for there to be an overlap in the comment period of the IESB exposure draft and the FASB exposure draft so that constituents can consider both uh, side by side. Obviously we will encourage people to uh, respond uh, considering the, uh, the content of both of those two EDs. Uh, obviously convergence is a key issue uh, within this particular area. Thanks Steve. Um, let's talk a little bit about revenue recognition. Uh, this is a, a, as I said at the beginning, this is a, a joint session with the FASB. Um, we've been continuing to debate um, the comments we received on the, the exposure draft that we, we had out earlier. This is the re-exposure revenue. Um, I guess two of the biggest topics we looked at um, this time is similar sort of a theme in a sense, and this is the bundling together of arrangements. Um, the first one was about how to allocate the transaction price. Um, and you might recall the proposal was to, was to allow um, a residual approach, essentially, so that if you at least had some... Um, reasonable certainty um, or you knew that the selling price wasn't highly variable then you could use it you'd estimate or allocate part of the contract to that and then use a residual for the remaining part and what the boards did is that they agreed that they would retain that that guidance that uh, was in the proposal but they've also clarified that you can use that if there are more than two parts to this so you might have three particular parts to a, a, a contract and as long as you've got one of those parts itself is not um, highly variable uncertain, That's that would help determine the, the appropriate allocation. And then you, you have a look at residual approach for the rest. And they've also provided a little bit of clarification as well about what sort of techniques you might use to estimate the individual standalone selling prices um, when you've got um, two, two or more um, uncertain um, components in there. That, in other words, high variability or uncertain standalone selling prices. The other one, which is bundled in a way, um, is probably easier to talk about an example, and that's sort of what we often talk about handsets of a telco, um, where you've actually got um, some items bundled together, particularly services that um, are bundled in with, with something like a handset. Um, you can have the same with um, satellite television services as well, where you get some hardware as well as a, a service that goes with it. Um, this is an area that's, um, that there is potential um, change in financial reporting for some some entities, and the boards have looked at this very seriously and done a lot of outreach. Um, the boards again decided this time to retain the proposals and not make any amendments specifically for those bundled arrangements. Um, in particular, they're not going to make any amendments to how to allocate the transaction price at all. Um, you know, they've got the they've got general guidance about the residual approach and so on. Um, but generally there won't be any special treatment for things like uh, the handsets. Um, and there was a decision 12 ISB members and all the FASB members agreed with uh, that particular decision. 
Um, the other thing I clarified though is that you can apply um, these, this residual or the, the bundling approach to a portfolio. So if you've got um, a series of the very similar um, contracts or a portfolio of, of contracts with similar characteristics, you can apply these this techniques to the portfolio as a whole. So it isn't necessary to take every individual project, uh, every individual contract, for example, there. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note that the board was um, very sort of concerned, sympathetic with arguments uh, from an operational perspective. So whilst the board, I think, still thinks very strongly that the the model that we've developed for revenue recognition generally should also be applied to uh, the telco type transactions. Um, clearly, there, there's a difference in scale in terms of the complexity when you've got many, many different combinations of different data plans, different handsets, and, and millions of customers and, and many different contracts, often contracts which are renegotiated and changed part of the way through. So the, the whole issue of complexity was one that the board took very seriously. However, I think we felt that uh, there are ways in which the model can be applied uh, which is operational, which takes into account, as, as, as you say, Alan, uh, the, the portfolio, um, portfolios that, that, that exist uh, and where it can, where the principles of the standard can be applied but in an operational manner. So what we're going to try and do is when we do draft the standard and, and the guidance, that we, we make sure we bring that out uh, as, as best we can uh, to, to make sure that uh, what, we, what we require is operational. Right. And uh, the last, I guess, major issue for RevRec was um, what we call constraining the cumulative amount of revenue recognised. And essentially, we had a look in particular at licences as a special case, and the boards discussed whether or not they should have special treatment for licences. Uh, perhaps again, if I use an example, is that um, an entity might sell to um, a theatre chain the right to show a particular movie over, over um, the, the coming summer or holiday period, for example. And of course they have the right to show it and you get to year end, um, you haven't sold any tickets um, to actually show the movie, you haven't had customers turn up, but you're obviously expecting it to be a successful movie and people will turn up, are you allowed to recognise revenue for example? And we aren't going to have any special requirements in there, they're just the general revenue recognition principles in there. Um, and in that sort of circumstance, um, uh, the general uncertainty about whether or not customers will turn up would... would um, pretty much imply that you couldn't in a, something like a movie arrangement anticipate that revenue and, and book that. You'd have to wait until the, the customers actually came along. So um, that was again a, a, a matter that all the board members agreed on with that. I think it was 14 ISB members and all of the FASB, so um, very strong support for that. Yeah, I mean it's quite similar to the ED except I think what we're doing is relocating what was the special rule for these types of licences. And, and relocating it as a, as a factor to take into account within the more general paragraph. So it's, it's sort of changing around a little bit, but uh, not changing the sort of fundamental concept of what we had in the exposure draft, but trying to reorganize it and uh, uh, make it more understandable and uh, sort of relevant in practice. Shall I go on to insurance? Sure. Um, for insurance, we, we discussed the, the ideas of unlocking the residual margin. Now, this is something that the board has previously discussed and decided on for the, the non-participating contracts. The idea is that um, the, the, the insurance liability should reflect an up-to-date estimate of the, the cash flows to, to settle that contract, uh, discounted at, at an appropriate rate. But where an estimate of cash flows changes, perhaps an estimate of the amount of claims uh, changes, 
Um, whilst in the exposure draft we had said that that change in estimate should be reflected within uh, the income statement, uh, what we're now proposing is that that change in estimate is, is initially taken to the residual margin and unlocks that residual margin. So it doesn't produce an immediate gain or loss unless it means the residual margin goes below zero, in which case that loss would be recognized. And it's something that uh, a lot of the respondents told us would, would be an improvement to the model. Whilst we still have an up-to-date measurement, it's, it's a measurement which is sort of, or, or it provides a presentation which is closer to the principles underlying revenue recognition. Anyway, we've already previously decided on that for the non-participating contracts. The meeting we had uh, this month was to just approve a small change in the way in which that is applied. The staff had identified that the precise wording the board had agreed to before wouldn't necessarily work in all circumstances. They'd been testing it out, so they came back to us and said, well, look, it's not going to work in this particular situation. This is how we think we should amend the wording, uh, and the board agreed to that. Perhaps the more substantive discussion, though, was whether we should apply a similar type of unlocking of the margin approach to participating contracts. This is something that many in the insurance industry had argued for, that it was a, an appropriate way of representing changes in the estimates uh, of future cash flows in respect to participating contracts as well. Um, obviously, we have a number of techniques to already try and deal with some of the complexities of participating contracts. We've made the decision to use OCI. For certain changes, we have this mirroring approach where uh, the way in which the assets are measured and presented is then mirrored in terms of the changes in the liability. But some in the insurance industry, as I said, argued that we also need to unlock this margin. And, and uh, if we don't, that uh, inappropriate sort of changes in that uh, in the future cash flows will be booked immediately um, rather than spread amortized over the life of the contract. Anyway, we, we looked at industry proposals, we looked at a number of alternative proposals uh, that the staff had come up with, and a lengthy discussion on this. In the end, by a, a very small uh, majority, the board decided not to adjust uh, the change in the value of the underlying items um, uh, to, to, to unlock the margin. So it was, it was a narrow vote. Uh, it'll be something that we will ask specific questions on in the exposure draft when it is released, and I've no doubt it'll be something that will be um, uh, subject of significant debate. So we are unlocking for the non-participating contracts, but we decided not to unlock for this uh, for the participating contracts. For a moment there, Steve, I thought you were going to say voted by a small margin, but uh, <laughs> it gets uh, confused yeah. as those uh, those terms. There was one other thing that um, that we discussed, which was impairment of reinsurance assets. <laughs> uh, we decided that. Um, uh, when, when sort of measuring the impairment, we should reflect that impairment in the initial measurement uh, of, uh, of, of the reinsurance, uh, but then changes in estimates of, uh, of, of sort of credit risk would be reflected immediately in profit and loss. So it was just a, a way of Im uh, applying uh, impairment of financial assets to reinsurance assets. So, so that was the only other thing that we covered in this meeting. Okay, well, perhaps I'll just give it a little wrap-up. Two other small issues uh, we looked at. Well, not, not necessarily small issues. They're very important for those people affected. Um, two of the projects of our, our new work plan. So these are the projects we've added this year. Vera Biological Assets and Rate Regulated Activities. Um, and just related to that, 
We did earlier this week um, release our feedback statement on our gender consultation, so for those interested you can download and see what our, our future work program is. Um, Bureau of Biological Assets, just a quick reminder that that's about um, things, that's fruit for example, and the trees in particular that the, the fruit grow on. Um, we've, we've decided to do some limited um, amendments to IS41, our agriculture standard, um, to, to change the accounting model basically for, for some bearer biological assets and the, the first issue we had was whether we should think about trees that bear fruit and vines for example with grapes and also think about um, animals or livestock where you've got dairy cows for example producing milk and also have produced calves, what the, um, how you should account for those. Um, we're limiting the scope to plants so this is about bearer crops for example so it will be about palm oil plantations um, the, the vineyards, for example. Um, what the board's board has decided is that we will develop a cost-based model essentially for bearer type assets until it reaches um, maturity, in, in other words, until it starts actually producing. So, so one of the questions was, well, how do you do that? Do you, for example, and the alternatives might have been measure it initially at fair value at the time it uh, becomes a bit, starts to bear fruit, or do you have cost accumulation? And the board decided cost accumulation was a, uh, a better model for that. So, um, and the other decision was the actual fruit that it's producing, um, should you measure that at fair value once it's uh, actually picked or as it grows, and the board decided as it grows, because it's consistent with um, all the other um, bearer assets or the, the the crops that are being produced and accounted for within the standard. So there's good progress on that. We're looking at an exposure draft out uh, in the first half of 2013. Um, rate regulate activities, people may be aware we're developing a discussion paper, but the important decision at this meeting was that we consider whether we should develop an interim standard. And the board, um, fairly narrow uh, vote on this, but has decided that we should develop an interim standard essentially that will grandfather or permit grandfathering of current practice. Um, there are some constraints on that. We're going to make sure that the effective rate regulation is stripped out of other assets so that property plan and equipment stated on the same basis as the other IFRS um, compliance uh, for assets and so on that other entities are applying. And there will be some um, disclosure requirements around that as well. But um, we're looking to put out fairly soon into the new year a proposal to um, put an interim standard in place. Um, that was it for the meeting. Just a couple of little things coming up. Our next meeting's the end of January because um, for many countries and, and people this is a, a, a holiday break. Um, before that the trustees are meeting in, in Hong Kong the 22nd to 24th of January. We have a couple of events around that. There's a, um, an outreach event that the um, Hong Kong Chartered Accountants are arranging on the uh, 21st of, uh, 22nd of January. And uh, we've also got um, staff going through Tokyo on the way back and a couple of outreach events um, through our ACOC and our office there as well. Um, and then on the 28th of January, we have a public disclosure forum. There's information on our website about uh, what we're doing with that as well.